Hello and welcome to another episode of Occupied Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by the Foundation for Middle East Peace. I am Kristen McCarthy, the Director of Grants and Operations, and I have the privilege of being joined today by Salem Barafe, joining us from Ramallah. Salem is the Executive Director of the Palestine Institute for Public Diplomacy, PIPD, which is an incredible organization I, that's uplifting Palestinian voices, and I urge all of our listeners to learn more about. Thank you for being with us today, Salem, for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Before we get going, I just want to take a second and urge listeners to go back and listen to some of the most recent episodes of this podcast to more fully understand the moment that we're in, the context in which Salem and I are going to have this conversation. We've been releasing a series of quick like 20-minute flash update podcasts, and you really need to know more about the attack on Gaza, about what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah, about the ongoing Nakba, if you want to understand the story of Palestinian resistance that we're going to highlight today and why it's so powerful and important. So we're not going to do all that background. So I really urge you to go back and listen to a few of our recent podcasts um, because it's against that backdrop that of devastation and oppression that Palestinians held a general strike on Tuesday, this past Tuesday, May 18th. And Salem's here to talk to us about that today. So Salem, I turn it to you. Tell us about this strike. Tell us what happened, what's behind it, um, and why this is an important moment. Yeah, thank you so much. I, it's, it really is, a, I think, a momentous uh, time in our history as a people uh, because a general strike and protests of this nature that unified Palestinians all over Palestine in the, in the refugee camps and the diaspora is, has, hasn't been seen in a very long time. The call came out of uh, Palestinians uh, in 48 Palestine, Palestinian citizens of Israel. Uh, who, call, who called for the strike and, and protests and, you know, the, the rest of Palestine answered. And it was amazing to see. And on that day, you know, everyone closed down uh, and, and went to the streets. And you had, uh, you know, I, I went to the protests in Ramallah and I saw uh, many people who told me this was their, their first protest ever. Uh, you saw families, you saw children, you saw uh, grandparents, uh, and you saw about young people who were leading the, 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 the protest and chanting for Gaza, chanting for Haifa, chanting for Yaffa, chanting for Jerusalem and Sheikh Jarrah and Silwan. And it's, it's incredible because it comes within the context, obviously, uh, you know, in the context of, of the, the massacres and the tragedy in, in, uh, in Gaza and then the ethnic cleansing we're seeing in Sheikh Jarrah and other neighborhoods in Jerusalem and elsewhere in Palestine. And as you said, Palestinians decide to defy that and, and rise up against that. Uh, and, you know, what makes it extra, extra special is that we've been living under uh, an Israeli-imposed system of fragmentation um, where, you know, uh, I know I'm, I'm 31, 32. I've never been to Gaza in my life. I need a permit to visit Jerusalem, the city I was born in and went to school in. And currently I don't have a permit, so I can't go. Uh, you know, Palestinian refugees, you know, the majority of Palestinians live abroad and they, they, they're not allowed to come back to their homeland to live, let alone to visit. So this idea of Palestinians everywhere coming together and protesting the same day and protesting the same system is really, you know, colonialism and, and apartheid is very powerful in the, in the backdrop of this fragmentation. And I think it energized a lot of us uh, and it was amazing to see. Will you talk more about just that energy that you're sensing in Ramallah and across communities? Like, you know, I think that's something that watching the protests from the US and trying to follow things on Twitter that I really 
caught a sense of that this wasn't a protest about anger even that it was a protest about unity and it was extraordinarily beautiful so I'd love to hear from you kind of what it was like to be there yeah I think it was a celebration of Palestinian identity and a, and a, and a celebration of Palestinian resistance uh, more though than something just born out of anger and frustration don't get me wrong we're extremely frustrated we're extremely yeah, angry and I think you know we're we're sick and tired to to live you know in, in a world where we're still not free unequal uh, without any rights and, and, and justice. But you know it was it was a celebration of, of of unity and reminding the world that we are one. And I think for a long time there's been there's been this narrative of Palestinian defeatism that you know the world has forgotten about Palestine. Palestinians have forgotten about Palestine that they're comfortable or okay living in the status quo where each community uh, cares and thinks only about its own needs. Uh, and you know, a big part of the last 30 years in the Oslo paradigm was the localization of the Palestinian struggle mm -hmm. uh, and making each community much more narrowly focused. And I think this allowed us to take a step back and look at the broader mosaic Palestinian society, and, and that's what we were celebrating. That's why people in Haifa were singing, and people in Ramallah were singing, yeah. people in Jerusalem were singing. Yeah, it, it was it was an amazing energy, yeah. So I saw a recent video that you had published on Twitter, um, and in it, I'm going to quote you here. You said okay. that Palestinians have lacked, and I quote, a vehicle to carry us towards our national liber liberation, unquote. And I'm curious if this feels like a vehicle to you if this new renewed energy and unity across Palestinian communities and 48 Israel and Gaza and East Jerusalem in the diaspora, if this feels like an inflection point in terms of how Palestinians carry out their, their struggle. Yeah, it's, this, is, this is such an important point because uh, for the longest time we've lacked the political system. Uh, you know, currently we have different monopolies of power, whether in the West Bank, uh, Gaza, uh, also in 48, etc., where there's complete marginalization and disenfranchisement of young Palestinians. And for those who don't know, the majority of our society is under 30. The average age in Palestine is 21, but the average age of our leadership uh, in, in the PLO is 70. And there's a huge gap. And so I'm, I'm again, you know, I'm at the, I'm at the age where I've never voted for a national election in my life. I've never had a chance to choose my representatives or my leaders, and 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 so when you see young people coming to the street, um, when you see young people defend their homes in Sheikh Jarrah, when you see young people defend Babel Amud in Jerusalem and Al Aqsa you are inspired by that because it's not about the factions uh, and, and those monopolies of power. It's, it's about the people. And I think in a way we're demanding um, a, a different way forward. And I think this is the start of something. Uh, we need to still build a political system and, and the political system uh, needs to be representative. It needs to be democratic and it needs to give space to every Palestinian around the world to be able to choose their representatives, their leaders, and be able to also have the agency to choose the Palestinian national vision and strategy. Where are we going and how? Uh, I think it's a conversation we need to have, but we lack the political system to have. So that's, that's, that's an important step. And I think this is the start, and I hope it's the start. 
Um, and I hope the energy uh, sustains itself and, and keeps on going. I want to ask you about the Palestinian Authority and Hamas and how they figure into mm. this. But before we get there, yeah. I um, can you can you just explain for our audience? You know, a lot has been made about the Palestinian youth taking the lead, rightfully mm. so. It's beautiful to watch young people, but I just would love to hear you explain at exactly what cost is this happening? I mean, not only are Palestinian youth putting their bodies on the line, but also, you know, their futures, both in terms of facing Israeli authorities and, you know, perhaps the Palestinian authorities. So can you just tell us why it's so extraordinary to see youth show up in a new way here and what exactly has kept them at home until now and the, and the risks associated with putting your face out there and, and being on the front lines of this protest. Yeah, polit political activism and political participation in Palestine comes with a huge price. The barriers to entry are, are massive, whether it's within our own community and our own society and, and, and political space, or it's you know, in relation to confronting Israeli apartheid. It, you know, within the PA, uh, you know, it's, it's taking a bend to you know, authoritarianism, arrests of activists, the, the clamping down on free speech, um, the inability to politically organize or participate. And that's one of the issues we were flagging when the PA announced for elections, right? They announced PLC elections, which is a body that only has jurisdiction over 40% of the West Bank. And uh, they, they did it and gave us three months and 15 years of no ability to organize ourselves politically. And, and similarly elsewhere, um, you know, and then you have under occupation, um, also very severe strict laws by the Israeli military on, on what we can do. We don't have the freedom of assembly. We don't have free freedom of speech. Uh, Palestinian political parties under Israeli military occupation are illegal. Protests are illegal. That's why people get arrested. So when people are, ask us, are asking us, why can't you participate in democracy? Well, there are different tiers of oppression that are preventing us from. And then you talk about, uh, you know, uh, Palestinians inside of Israel. I mean, look, Look at the 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 mobs that were were there were all around the different cities from Lid to Haifa to Yaffa. It was it was uh, fascist extremist settlers with the police, with the police, and they were treating the way they dealt with them was the way they dealt with Palestinians in the West Bank or Jerusalem, complete repression, arrests in the middle of the night. This is one regime, and and it you know the it's it's it's, it's at the core, at the crux of it, is to subjugate Palestinians and erase Palestinians. And they deal with us the same, even though we're put into different tiers. And a big part of what they don't want to see is a unified Palestinian people rising up together and challenging that system. And so the response to it is going to be extremely severe. And we've already seen that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how, how can you tell us how did the Israeli police respond to the strike on Tuesday? Was there any, um, what did you see? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I wasn't there, but I had a, a few close friends who went to a protest in, in Jerusalem. And so uh, as they were just gathering and starting, it was completely peaceful protest. The minute they raised the Palestinian flag, the Israeli police and forces started shooting at them and, 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 and shooting stun grenades, grenades etc. In, in the West Bank, they've been using live bullets uh, to, on protesters. 
and, and, and people have been killed by Israeli forces. Um, similarly, also in, in, you know, in, uh, in Yaffa, Haifa, etc. again, it's usually settlers, extremist, fascist settlers in collusion with the police that are inflicting violence within those communities. And again, they're being dealt with with severe violence. Uh, that's that's that that that's part of this regime. That's the part of the reality. Palestinians who rise up uh, have to deal with. Yeah. Okay. So let's. I want. I have to ask about the Palestinian Authority and Hamas. Um, mm. They weren't part of the leadership behind the strike and protest, if I'm I'm correct. But they did jump on the bandwagon. So, can you just how how do you think? what's happening amongst Palestinians now across fragmented bodies and um, generations. How do you, what do you think this means for the Palestinian Authority and Hamas and their, you know, desperate attempts to cling to authority? Let me start with this. 67% of Palestinian youth don't subscribe to a political party they, because they feel that these parties do not represent them. And for a long time, there's been uh, political apathy. And I, and I want to define this very strictly, this idea of political apathy. Apathy in the sense that participation within domestic Palestinian politics is not going to lead to change that we want to see. Obviously, there isn't a political system to uh, participate in. There haven't been elections. There has, and, and again, growing authoritarianism. The, the, the beauty of, of, of what was happening around Palestine, starting in Jerusalem and, and going elsewhere, um, was that it was about the young people who were coming out and, and, and leading this. And it, it's, again, what's beautiful to me about it, it's not about one person. It's not about one personality. And, and we're moving away from this idea of the cult of the individual. Like, for a long time, all, the world was asking us, where's the Palestinian Gandhi? Which was a ridiculous question to ask, I think, in the first place. But you had you had young people defending their communities uh, with the feeling that they were sent, or with the sense that they were part of something bigger. And and I think you know the the, the parties, the factions, the Hamas had no part in that. And even though with what's the massacres that are happening in Gaza, people have felt more anger seeing you know families wiped out children killed uh, etc um, but it's only added more more fuel to our fire i think as a generation to come out together as a whole and i think that's really important so again i, I want to emphasize it's not about the factions it's not about the parties it's not about leaders it's about the people and, and that's really important so I might be asking you to take out a crystal ball here, but I'm just, what, what is the next step? What happens next with the energy created by this strike and protest? Are there next plans? I don't know. It's, it's, it's decentralized. It's, uh, you know, a series of networks that are moving and mobilizing, but I hope, uh, I hope it continues. I think that's my, my first hope. And my second hope is that we also start mobilizing to build a political system and transform the one we have into something that's democratic and representative. Because if we want to really, the Oslo paradigm is over, whether people like it or not, not because we say so, but because the reality dictates that. And so if you want to build something, a vehicle that challenges that, you need to build a democratic, representative Palestinian political system. And I hope Palestinians turn their energy and efforts into doing that as well as confronting the apartheid regime. 
because we need to build consensus and unity about a national vision about where we're going as a people. And that's critical at this stage. Okay, so turning from kind of internal Palestinian, what's happening there, but looking across the world and what's happening, I mean, it's it's been remarkable to watch. Um, I'm, I'm curious how you see what's happening across major cities in the world with solidarity um, protests, mostly like the, the grassroots things that are happening. Um, do you think we're at an inflection point here? Is this an important moment globally? Absolutely, I think the dam is breaking, and uh, you know, people are finding the courage to say out loud what they always whispered under their breath. Right? I think there was always a sense of solidarity with with Palestine, and I think throughout the last 10-15 years, the narrative has begun to change because a lot of people have been working hard to have it change. You know, this hasn't come out of nowhere. A lot of amazing folks in, in the US, in Europe, in Palestine, everywhere have been, have been trying to shift it and fundamentally uh, dismantle this dominant narrative Israel has built to inoculate itself. And, uh, and you know, when you have a member of Congress who's the same age as us come out and call Israel apartheid and also uh, try to stop military funding to Israel, I mean, that's, that's an amazing thing to see. And that's a culmination of these efforts and you know you have politicians celebrities people uh, coming out and, and and doing so and you know I, I there there's a lot of censorship on these platforms but social media social media has been our tool because for a long time also the traditional establishment media wasn't giving palestinians a space to speak and tell their own story and, and even now the coverage is extremely skewed so by taking over the ability and the means to tell our own story to the world, I think that's that's also fundamentally changed things. Yeah, it's been fascinating to watch and quite fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so how can these global solidarity movements really help you? What what do Palestinians want to see? Yeah, I think I think uh, number one, always remember to uplift and center Palestinian voices as part of the conversation. To educate yourself, uh, raise awareness uh, amongst your friends, your family, your community. The more people know, the, the less people will, will be silent. And I think three, th this equation won't change. I think at the end of the day, you know, Washington DC, uh, London, Berlin is not going to liberate Palestine. Palestinians are going to liberate Palestine. But what can happen is they can make the environment more or less conducive for liberation policy through their legislation, through their funding and financing um, and, and diplomacy. And so we're asking people pressure on their governments, their companies, their entities to, to center Palestinian freedom and rights and justice. I think that's really important. All right, so my last question to you, Salem, what does a free Palestine mean to you? It means everything. It means everything. It means that I can enjoy the, the, the right of every human being to live in freedom and, and, and equality and justice and have my rights. And, you know, it's, it, I wish my grandfather could have experienced it. I wish my father could have experienced it. I wish I could have grown up and do it. And I don't want to see another generation. I don't want my children to grow up in an unfree Palestine. So I think for the sake of all of humanity, I think, I hope we see a free Palestine in our lifetime. Absolutely. 
let it be. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for your time let today. I know it's incredibly valuable. <laughs> Um, and I want to thank everyone who tuned in to listen to this. Um, this is another episode of Occupied Thoughts from the Foundation for Middle East Peace. Until next time, thank you. Thank you so much, Kristen.